What's up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. Across from me is my old podcast bandit, the co-conspirator Colin Brister himself. This is the first ever edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. A lot of brain power and thought went into the naming of this. Um, I I didn't really tell like it, a whole lot of people this was happening. I've had this idea for a while. Uh, this is a the first podcast that's in conjunction with a Substack website that I have started. Uh, basically, I just got kind of bored with my uh, job. I like I live here in Texas, Dallas, Texas now. And I just wanted my own outlet to kind of just start writing, podcasting, doing whatever I want because I found myself like having these thoughts and like thinking, oh, that'd be a cool story and just not really do like going forward with it. So I was like, you know what? I'll be the first journalist ever to start a podcast and his own website. So that's pretty creative thinking on my end. But I, uh, this will go kind of live with injunction with like the first podcast, I, excuse me, the first website post I put out. So it's on Substack. There's a charging for content option. I'm not going to be that guy. I don't think I'm that important. I uh, We're rocking with the free version now. But basically my plan for this thing is is to just kind of write cool stuff, do a newsletter a couple of times a week that will have just Ole Miss stuff, random information, golf, I don't know, whatever the hell I find interesting. Um, it's really just kind of going to go kind of uh, be a wait and see type of thing in terms of what actually the content is for this stuff. But I think I'll come up with some good stuff. We obviously baseball season, I thought was as good a time as any to get this thing going just because Ole Miss fun team. People love baseball. You know, Ole Miss is kind of my forte. Of course, we'll talk Ole Miss. We'll talk some state. We'll talk some golf. Uh, I'll probably make some immature jokes, but uh, I don't know. I thought the idea of starting a newsletter and a podcast was kind of fun and interesting. So, uh, I guess as you're listening to this, please uh, go check it out. I have it on all my social media. It's rippywrites at substack.com. All you have to do is click subscribe, and it comes. I will spam the hell out of your inbox two to three days a week uh, for free. So with all that being explained, Colin's here. What's up, dude? I, uh, I'm glad I got to find out the name of the podcast along with the other people. What what took more brain power, a uh, Rebel Report or this one? Uh, so uh, I'm going to say Rippy writes because I came up with this one myself, and I don't actually remember who came up with Rebel Report. I think it was my old boss, Will East. But uh, Rippy writes at least kind of flows, sounds nice. It was really the name of the website, the Substack site. And I was like, you know what? I'll just keep the podcast the same. Uh, if you look on your little icon right now as you're listening to this live, I got a cool little logo made up. My girlfriend oh, made it up. Nice little pen and paper type of thing. So I'll go with Rippy Wrights as far as uh, more brain power. Okay, okay. It, uh, it's funny how the circle of life works, right? Because like two two years ago we we're doing this, and then uh, you know I, I went with Ben, and then you went with Ben, and, and now we're doing this again. And then I left Ben, and now we're doing this again on my own. And not to mention when this all started, I, I would have to look up the exact date, and I should I should probably have done that uh, before we started recording. I think it was literally within a two week span of this time of year, if I'm not mistaken. I can tell you the exact date because I remember we recorded the first podcast the day Ole Miss and Wright State got rained out in baseball. Don't ask and me why I can remember that. That's twenty nineteen. Nineteen. I'm just going to Google it right now because there I are no rules in this podcast. Here we go. February, February 17th. If it had been February 28th, I don't really know how we would have continued. Which is <laughs> <laughs> Sunday night when we're recording this, by the hey, way. Has anything happened in those two years? You know, like maybe a global pandemic or something? Yeah, global pandemic. I lost my job. I moved to different states. Uh, I would say just a little bit has happened in those two years. 
So, but we're back at it. I'm glad to be back on the airwaves podcasting. What I got uh, in terms of how this podcast will be different, I'll say what I can promise you is we uh, I'm not going to half-ass this. So I told myself if I'm actually going to commit to this and do this, uh, I'm not going to half-ass it. So I'm going to make sure the audio is good. I'm going to make sure we have quality content. I think we're going to go for two to three podcasts a week. I think that's a good way to structure baseball season. Maybe a Monday and a Friday show around baseball. And then something interesting in the middle, because I don't want this to be all Ole Miss. I've got some different ideas, some different people I want to have on. We'll just kind of see where it goes. But um, that being said, it will be a priority. But at the same time, this is not my job now. I don't get any income from this. Unless you want to sponsor the show, hit me up immediately. Um, <laughs> so I'm you're doing right now and send me money. That being said, you got to bear with me. I do have a normal nine to five now. But at the same time, I, uh, I do commit to providing quality content, quality audio, um, we have graduated from the phone. Colin's looking at me. I have this nice fancy microphone next to me. We have graduated from doing this on a phone on Skype. So I can promise you audio will be good. Shouldn't have any trouble there. And uh, this should be an interesting uh, interesting adventure. So uh, please come tag along. And I say that Monday, Friday baseball show, Mailbag Friday has to come back, right? I mean, it, it's a rite of passage. Um, speaking of your, your nine to five, like this is the first time that I, I feel like I've ever worked a nine to five and I don't know how you feel, but I mean, journalism just doesn't really feel like a nine to five. How was, how was the nine to five like going? Well, journalism doesn't feel like a nine to five because it's not, it's not a nine to five. You, you work very odd hours. I, I, you know, I never actually added up covering Ole Miss and granted I did it for a couple of different places. And so it was probably different depending on, you know, radio is different and doing the writing on top of it. But I would venture to say you work more than 40 hours a week. I actually like the nine to five, to be honest. We're Because uh, of this pandemic, I'm hybrid in the office and hybrid out. So two to three days a week, I'm in the office and the other two to three, I'm out. But honestly, I mean, I didn't ever think I'd like it. Like I, when I first got out and started doing the whole reporting thing, I was, you know, I'm super motivated. I'm going to be covering someone, someone or something for ESPN in a couple of years. I can't do the nine to five, but it's actually kind of nice. You get your weekends off. I went, we'll get to this in a minute, I went to the Ole Miss games in Arlington last weekend because they played uh, 0.8 miles from my home, and I drank a beer in the stands like a normal human at a safe distance from that maniac wear number five uh, in the dugout. <laughs> it was nice. I was it's a, it, That's a long-winded way of saying I've enjoyed the 9 to 5. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm the same way with teaching. It's, it's like 9 to 3 except for baseball season. Now it's like 9 to 11 p.m. So, you know um, – but no, it is kind of nice. hours. It's the regularity, right? Like the, the the thing that disliked about the journalism deal and covering sports is the completely irregular irregular schedule. Like no matter the day of the week, and and I feel like there's a lot of time uh, in journalism that you spend. Like for example, I mean, you went to what Columbia, South Carolina, and that's not going to get included. You know, catching flights there and back and and travel and whatnot. That doesn't get clu- included in the forty hours of work. But that's still like. You're, you're not sitting at home watching your TV either. Yeah, you're exactly right. And Columbia, Missouri, I actually use that example a lot when trying to explain to people I work with now, like kind of the ups and downs of the job, because Columbia, Missouri, as you bring it up, might be the best example, because from Oxford, you quote unquote can fly, but it's actually because of how obscurely located it is in relation to St. Louis and Kansas City, it's actually a huge pain in the ass to fly to. So I'll never forget driving back from Columbia, Missouri, so I could finally have a day off 
and catch the uh, red zone at like 5.30 in the morning driving through somewhere in rural Arkansas. So, uh, yeah, that's actually a very good example. But to your uh, to piggybacking off your point, yeah, it's 12 hours in a car in a weekend already right there, and you haven't covered a game or done anything yet. It's, yeah, I do not miss journalism life, even though that is what my degree is in. Um, no, I, I would not I, – I could not go back on a full-time basis unless it just paid extremely, extremely well, and I don't foresee that uh, being part of the future. That's it. You just nailed on why it's just a tough industry. You know, I had the, you know, the world stops the COVID pandemic. I get laid off and there's a point in there. Like, obviously, there's the initial shock of being laid off, but it's kind of like, OK, this is a pandemic. It's happening to everyone. But then you get like a month and a half in and you're like, all right, what exactly am I going to do here? Like, what the hell is about to happen with my life here? And, you know, just having the security of working and marketing and PR. I work for a large company that's been around for a long time. That's the that's the that's the nice part of it. And, you know, I'm not spoiler alert at 26 or 25. I guess I'm about to be 26. I'm not loaded. But in terms of payment growth opportunity, uh, shocking here. Journalism, not exactly just going straight up the ladder rung to six figs. And so. And so, you know, working in a place with more security and a little bit more advancement opportunity has been nice. But that being said, we're 10 minutes into this thing talking about how bad the journalism industry sucks. And the ironic part about it is, is I do miss aspects of it, which is why we're here and why I'm introducing the site. Yeah, I miss Mike Bianco dearly. Seeing him waddle around Globe Life Park for four days really just brought (laughs) – Did at any point, like, did it go through your mind to just yell at him and be like, hey, Mike? I – so I did – so we never got that close. Um, I never got that close to where he could have heard me. He did in the Sunday game against – well, they played Tech Sunday, right? Yeah. Um, He was giving the umpire the business, and I had had a couple of course gold tops. And I stood up and yelled, pretend it's me. And so I'm assuming he heard that, but I don't think so. <laughs> In my mind, he heard it. Oh, God. He is so I, – I don't know how much of your post-game or his post-game press conference you watched this weekend. That dude is so much chiller nowadays, though. I guess it may be because you go, you're you're gone. He gets beat on Friday night and is like cracking jokes with uh, Parrish and, and Suss in his post-game interview. Um, so hold that thought because that's an aspect I want to get to because I think us talking baseball is one topical. thought it was a great way to start kick off this podcast, particularly with the way this program is and this team's going and just getting the band back together. But that's a topic I want to cover. So hold that thought because I would like to take credit for that to your point. But uh, that being said, let's just get right into it. So let's get right into uh, the first two weeks of Ole Miss's baseball season. As uh, As I mentioned last week, or as I mentioned earlier, last week I got to go to the games. I went to two of the three, would have gone to all three, but uh, it was one of the, it kind of sucked. I took a half day off of work on Friday to go to the Friday game. The snowpocalypse hits. Obviously, they move it back a day. It wasn't going to take off another day to go to the Monday game, so I hit two of the three. And uh, I guess just big picture uh, observations. Uh, first one, that park is sick. Like that, that place is unreal. I don't really know. What I expected, it's a brand new stadium uh, for the Texas Rangers. Like, of course, it's going to be cool. But, man, that place is pristine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's they played the World Series there for a reason. Um, yeah, I, I was going to go out there before the snowpocalypse hit. But, you know, uh, the whole world got turned on the side of his head that week. And so I wasn't able to make it out there. But, yeah, everybody here talk about it just talks about how great that park is. 
could not have been more impressed with it. I mean, it, every new nice ballpark you walk in, you think it's awesome, but it really is an enjoyable place to watch a game. And I didn't think I'd be like a huge fan of the indoor ballpark thing, but it's honestly kind of awesome. And obviously they're not going to have to screw with the heat or rain delays and all that and can kind of open that roof when they want to. It was closed all three days, but I guess we, we kind of buried the lead there a little bit. The uh, So I moved to Texas and it snows six inches in late February, um, which was awful. And I know – so. Uh, Hit, hit me with your end first. How, what what was the deal in Mississippi? How bad was it? Uh, so I mean, I'll just be honest. So where I'm at is probably I don't know 30, 45 minutes from, um, you know, home for me. So I get it. Let's just start here. Think about how miserable this is. So two weeks before this thing hits, I get COVID. So I'm stuck at my house for for two weeks and can't lit and can't leave. Can't do anything. And then the day I get out of quarantine. Uh, snowpocalypse happened. So I'm stuck at my house for another week. Um, oh yeah, it was miserable. Um, and you can't, and like, I live in like the down the hill, like I can't get out of here. Um, so thankfully my parents had, cause I can't leave to go to the grocery store. Thankfully before this thing hits, my parents had brought me groceries. Otherwise I would have, I would have starved. <laughs> cause, um, yeah, that was, I never lost power. I never lost water. Um, but I didn't go outside for, I mean, legitimately four or five days because there was just no reason to. I mean, mail trucks didn't run. There, there was nothing to do, and you, and I sure as hell couldn't get out. Yeah, um, so we have pretty much identical experiences in that sense. So I, so that that last the Thursday before, so we're talking the week before the tournament. Um, I'm work from home that Friday, and my girlfriend lives in Fort Worth, which is. 45 minutes, 40-ish minutes from Dallas. And I actually live, obviously, in Arlington right by the park. Nice little halfway point, about 15, 20 minutes each way from Dallas, 15 minutes from Fort Worth. And I was work from home the next day, so I went over there, assuming just for the weekend. And I knew just the weather was going to be not great. Um, you know, and it, you, you're so used to the whole Mississippi snow forecast where they forecast it, and if you get like an inch or a half an inch, it's like, oh, this is sweet. It actually snowed this time. Buddy, that was not the case. So we, we get there. And by Sunday, you know, we hang out Friday, Saturday. I didn't plan to do much that weekend anyway. But Sunday morning, it starts snowing, and like it's really snowing. And I was like, "Oh man!" And then you turn on the TV, and they're like, "Oh, you might get five, six inches." And I was like, "Well, this doesn't sound promising." So same thing. We were snowed in from Saturday until Tuesday. I didn't get out of the house. Then a problem arises. So Tuesday, as I'm getting texts from people being like, "Is this tournament actually going to happen? What's it like out there?" And I heard the roads are terrible because you remember that Thursday, the first the Friday morning, the night ice over that 100 car pileup in Fort Worth that right. like killed, like a lot of people like happened. That was like kind of the first wave of the bad weather, and then the snow came. Well, Tuesday comes around. Obviously, all my offices work from home. No one's going in the office, but I can start getting emails from my apartment complex being like, "Hey, had another pipe break. Let us know if your stuff's flooding." Well. Guess who can't let them know who there's, if, there's, if his stuff is flooding in Fort Worth? So I was like, yeah, probably not a big deal. And I got another one and then another one. And finally, I was like, I'm going to have to do something about this. So on my lunch break on Tuesday, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to bite the bullet. I've heard the roads are bad. It hasn't snowed in a day or two. The second wave of it was supposed to come to that Wednesday night. So I was like, I got to do this now or never. So on my lunch break, I decided to drive. And that was a mistake. I'm going... 30 miles an hour tops on an interstate 
just oh, basically man. weaving through parts that don't have ice or snow on it. Five minutes in the ride, chunk of ice just destroys my windshield, cracks oh. from. So and I'm like slipping and sliding on these roads, and I was like, man, like this sucks. I always figured I would leave this earth much cooler than dying in a Texas snowstorm. Did, did at any point like you tell your parents that you were about to do this? No, no, hell no. So obviously, because it was, I was like, you know what? Like we're in between snowstorms. Some of it has died off, like melted off a little bit. I say died off. Like I knew it was going to be a little sketchy, but man, I didn't think it would be that bad. And that is probably a larger conversation to have where Texas was just like, you, the news gets a lot of things wrong, but like in terms of Texas and their infrastructure and the roads just being totally unprepared. And obviously the power was the big story. The roads were a joke. Like Mississippi has dealt with snow better than Texas in the past. I was astonished by it. Long story short, my apartment was fine. I made it back. It took me an hour and 45 minutes round trip to go about 25 miles. And I was like, I'm not driving again. That was one of the scariest experiences I've ever had. And then that gets us to Wednesday. And that's when it's really like, is this tournament happening? And the second wave of the snowstorm didn't hit as bad as I thought. And we had a huge day of sunshine on Thursday. And so, you know, everything else is getting canceled. And, every, you know, you're seeing people be like, I don't think this is getting played. I know I texted you later that week. I texted Chase, too. And I was like, I actually think they made the right call pushing it back a day. I think by Saturday we're going to be slick, which turned out to be exactly the case. So props to the people running that tournament for persevering and kind of waiting it out because that turned out to be the perfect solution because by Friday afternoon, I say fine. You could still see some snow, but it was not dangerous at all, other than the power and water situation. Yeah, I, I always thought that if the teams could get there, they would they would be okay to play. That's Even exactly Miss to Dallas was, right. a, was a nightmare. That was a nightmare because uh, they had to drive to Birmingham because that was the closest place they could get out. And man, it was not safe to drive to Birmingham until about the time they were able to. Uh, so backing that tournament up was really their only option because Ole Miss couldn't get get anywhere until Friday. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. I mean, that's what that's kind of what I kept thinking is if they could get there, okay, it'd be fine. Granted, you had all kinds of places, and you know the power crisis was really bad. Obviously, it got all kinds of national coverage, but like hotels and stuff were booked up here, at, like from people fleeing their homes, and then the, some of them ran out of water. So I just figured if they can get here, then the hotels are fine. Then it's a go. And fortunately, you had a good day Friday. The weather was actually like very pleasant on Friday. And then they started playing on Saturday. And uh, so snowpocalypse, now that, we deci- now that we've described to the listeners that we both survived it and they played a baseball tournament, um, Ole Miss obviously starts about as well as you could possibly start. I mean, they go 3-0. They beat all three Texas schools and uh, looked pretty damn good doing it on the mound. Just general impressions from the first weekend before we dive into um, the UCF debacle. So it's it's kind of hard to say, all right, well, you know, th- this is my impressions uh, from the first weekend without, you know, factoring in what happened this weekend. But if, if when you talk to me on Monday um, after Ole Miss beats Texas 8-1, and, and, and this looks stupid now, but I, I kind of believed it. I thought, you know, a lot of people did too because they ranked the number one. I thought Ole Miss was the best team in the country um, because, you know, look, and, and my reasoning for this was, Okay, this lineup doesn't have a ton of experience, um, so let's see how they perform. And they go out to Texas and, and play pretty well against uh, Johnny Ray from TCU, who's throwing a 95 to 98 mile hour fastball. 
Uh, Micah Dallas from, from Texas Tech, who's extremely good. And, and I can't remember the kid that pitched from Texas, but you don't get to play baseball at the University of Texas without being a really good pitcher. And, and they kind of just mash all three of those guys. And I'm like, well, this lineup can hit, and you know what you have on the mound. They are probably one of, if not the best teams in the country. Um, and, and on Tuesday, after Ole Miss was able to do what they did to Texas, I, I, I kind of – I didn't think that it was a fluke that they were ranked in, uh, as, as the number one team in the country. Look back a week later, may have been a little bit early in that projection. Yeah, completely agree. Because, you know, you sit there – and the way they played last last year until the shutdown, and particularly the way they were performing offensively, you know, they didn't score a ton of runs. And I still think this is the case, and we can get into this later. They didn't score a ton of runs in, out here in Texas. But it didn't matter, obviously, because they won all three games. And I was sitting there thinking, what makes this team different? And it, to me, it was the way they pitched. I mean, I, I thought the best example of it was is I was sitting with a group of friends for the second day, the second day's game, and Braden, the kid comes out of the bullpen in sixth, seventh inning for Ole Miss. I don't remember the situation. It's not really relevant. And he's running out of the pen, and I'm sitting there going, who, who, who is this? Like, I'm trying to look at the number. I'm trying to look at the roster. And it was Braden Forsythe. And forgive me for not recognizing him. I hadn't been as plugged in lately. And he has, has a bushy, luscious mane that I don't yeah. think he had the year before. So that was part partially my defense. But, you know, he's the at that point, I think – I, I should have looked this up, but he's the fourth and fifth guy out of the pen. And you remember how good he was in a limited sample size last year. And it's like, holy cow, this team is deep. Like, you know what I mean? And it, it, it was there was another example with – I can't remember who it was came out of the pen on, on Monday against Texas. Brandon Johnson, who throws 95 miles an hour and he just comes out on Monday. Exactly. But there was another kid from – I'll look this up here in a second – there's another kid that came out against Texas on Monday, and it's like a recognizable guy. Like it's, a, I just don't have the game stats in front of me, and it's like he hasn't pit. It's Monday, and he's just now pitching. And so that was the biggest takeaway for me. Is yeah, Doug kind of stunk. Gunner looked really good. Not worried about Doug. Very encouraged by Gunner. But holy cow, the bullpen depth on this team is something yeah. else, and that's what gets you. To the, to the finish line, finish line in terms of Omaha. You can talk about hitting. You talk about offense, everything. If this team hits at three-quarters of the level you think they're going to hit at, what makes this team equipped to just mo- get through the postseason and the kind of the, the I say sprint, marathon is what I should say in terms of the postseason, that's what makes them a national title contender uh, if you're going to make the argument is just how deep that bullpen is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, Derek Diamond, his first pitch of the game on – on Monday is 97, 98 miles an hour. Which is um, at least a tick, three ticks up from last year at, at, four, at best, I remember. Yeah, it's three to four, and he's a stud, man. But, yeah, it, that that's what, you know, you buy into. You look at this bullpen that goes, what, 13 innings, I believe. I'm, I'm Let's see, 27, 7, 13, 14 innings and doesn't give up a run in Dallas. Um, and you look at this offense, who, yeah, they got a little help. You know, they scored 20 runs in Dallas. Again, you know, TCU not being able to catch the ball, or Texas Tech not being able to catch the ball helps, sure. Um, also a massive park. Yeah, yeah. And and you look at it and you're like, man, it, like if they're going to pitch it this well, because I don't think anybody that, that knows the sport of baseball would – I think you would have a really hard time arguing that Ole Miss does not have a top five rotation in college baseball. I think it's even better than that. I think it's probably top three. Um, behind Vanderbilt in Florida. And then if this bullpen pitches like 
what it did in Arlington, and you can hit it all. This is this is a top five team in the country, and I can argue it's the best team in the country. But again, I agree. and I just looked up that stat by the way as we're talking about bullpen depth, not stat who was in. It wasn't the Monday game; it was Forsyth. I was talking about it, unless I have something wrong. For Braden Forsyth was the sixth guy out of the pen for Ole Miss. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the sixth. How, how many years in the last half decade? Sixteen team, eighteen team, nineteen team. Is he ever in any way the way he's pitching six out of their bullpen in any crunch time scenario? No, no. When you factor in last year, I, I will push back a little bit and tell you that he got beat around in the fall and, and in the uh, preseason. Um, but I think your point's still a good one. He was really, really good last year. And, you know, you got guys like Broadway, Miller, Chofi, Kimbrell, McDaniel, who I think right now are probably better than him. Agree. And I had kind of forgotten about Drew McDaniel just because you didn't get a ton of midweeks, obviously, and then the season shut down. But finish your point where you were talking about. I kind of interrupted you there, but I, I was just making sure it wasn't the Monday game. But yeah, bullpen depth is insane. Yeah, I mean, and, and and yeah, sure, some of that's COVID, and everybody talks about, oh, well, COVID, a lot of that. Okay, sure. Uh, Austin Miller and, and Taylor Broadway aren't back, you know, I don't, they're probably not back with without COVID. But the other guys count, too. Like, Brandon Johnson is is a JUCO guy. Braden Forsyth would have been back. Max Chofi would have been back. Jackson Campbell, Drew McDaniel, Wes Burton, those guys would have been back. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think Burton pitched in Arlington. But, yeah, I mean, this bullpen depth is is insane. Now, look, as we kind of transition into this weekend, they don't pitch as well this weekend. Um, and and that's to be expected. I mean, it's baseball. And then I don't know how quickly you want to move into UCF, but I, I, I think if you – I don't think – and I said this last night. I don't think you can look at Arlington in one vacuum and UCF in one vacuum and, and you know, make statements about this team. I don't think this team is as good as they played in Arlington. And I – I know they're not as bad as they played yesterday and, and on Friday night. Agreed. And I would argue that they're probably closer to the team in Arlington than they were against UCF. And I think you made this point on social media at some point this weekend, but it was something I had thought about as well. It's like if you're worried about – like if you're coming out of this weekend and you're sitting there going, like, eh, that wasn't great. Like what should, should you be worried about? I would say it's less about the offense because I do think – yeah, okay. They've What is the – I'm bouncing around here, but Mike Bianco seems like he's had teams that suck against left-handed pitching ever since that I've yeah. been on campus there. It's but even as it may, I think this team will hit. I thought maybe if you're looking for a cause for alarm, it was the way the team pitched it after Friday against UCF that was not great. And to be fair, UCF entered the year ranked. They had a bad weekend against FAU. I don't really understand the whole Stetson midweek thing. They didn't score a run. But that was a preseason top 25 well, team that's probably better than they started. Not, not having your coach because of COVID is, is a big deal. I mean, imagine if Mike Bianco has to miss a week. And, and I actually not, didn't even know that. They didn't have their coach opening weekend? They didn't. And I'm not sure about midweek. But, no, Love Lady was not there the first weekend. And, and, you know, you do Mike Bianco jokes or whatever. Mike Bianco has to miss two weeks because of COVID protocols. Then Ole Miss is going to be in a little bit of a mess. And um, I'd be in a better mood. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, couldn't resist. But yeah, you're right. Five, like having to sit at home watching Carl Lafferty call pitches. Yeah, I mean, he, it, I imagine poor. I mean, whose whose fault in that household is the fact that he has COVID? Like he's blaming it on someone, it's just a matter of who. But anyway, 
<laughs> to your point, it, it does make a difference. That, so that kind of underscores even more. UCF is better than they started. Absolutely. They were a top 25 club for D1. Yes. I mean, look, and, and I don't I don't mean to sound obnoxious when I say this, but if you don't think UCF is a good baseball team, like did you watch this weekend? Because they trotted out two lefties that threw 90 to 93 with really good all speed. I don't care what FAU did to them. Those cats were good. Um, and it all missed didn't play well. And when you don't play well, you get beat. Like, and I know it sucks. You're the number one team in the country, and now you're not um, because you lost two games to UCF and you shouldn't be. But, and I said that about the bullpen, and I didn't mean it like, oh, this could be an issue going forward. It's that, okay, you're up on Friday night. Granted, it's one to nothing, but you're up on Friday night and you blow the lead. And then Saturday morning, you're up three to nothing and your bullpen blows the lead. Like that, the formula for Ole Miss winning baseball games this year is have the lead in the seventh inning, hand it to the bullpen, win the game. Now, Ole Miss blew it on Friday night because Mike left the Casey in there too long. And I know, like, this, I understand how absurd this sounds. If Ole Miss is up one to nothing in the seventh inning on Friday night, they should win that game. Like, <laughs> like hand the ball to Taylor Broadway, hand it to Austin Miller, hand it to whoever, get nine outs and win the game one to nothing. I don't care. But- Which is exactly what he did in a different way in the season opener. It, they, who, whoever – I forget who came in after Nikhazy struggled and kind of screwed around a little bit, and he went straight to Broadway and was like, let's end this shit, basically. Yeah, that's what he should have done on Friday night. And said, let's end this, we're going to win, and then we're going to go play Saturday. Yeah, you're not going to have Taylor Broadway on Saturday, but you're going to have – that's the thing with Ole Miss, too. On Friday nights, do whatever you got to do to win the game because the cat that's taking the ball on Saturday – He's real good, um, and he might give you seven innings, and you don't have to do a whole hell of a lot to win on Saturday with him. Yeah, could, couldn't agree more. I mean, and to that point, you know, I, I wanted to hold off on the Mike Bianca and kind of how he's evolved conversation, but I feel like we can just fit it in in bits and pieces throughout. I think that's another example of how he's evolved, and I was kind of explaining that to the dudes I was sitting with in Arlington when Broadway goes in. And I texted – I can't remember if I texted you or Chase about it at the time, too, as I was sitting in the stadium. What are the chances five years ago – you know, Mike's big into labels. If his, his cleanup hitter is his cleanup hitter. His three-hole hitter is his three-hole hitter. His closer is his closer. In 2015, what are the odds Mike Bianco hands the ball to his closer in the seventh? Just like, let's ride you to the finish line. None. Absolutely none. Zero. He would not have done that with Wyatt Short. It is zero. It's literally zero. Yeah, Unless no. there's no one else. You know they had that weird team in 07 where they had like two pitchers? Outside of that, zero chance. No. And and now and, and I don't I don't think anybody's ever asked him this. I wish someone would. Um and I and I, I should probably ask you know Ben or Chase to ask him this. But I'm sure Mike's mindset in that game is if I don't go to Broadway right now, there's not gonna be a game to close because we're about to be behind six to four. Um and that's how you should approach closure. If 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 there's nothing to close, your co- your closer is moot. So, like, put your best pitcher in in the highest leverage situation. And to Mike's credit, he did that. Um, now, my argument would be, what the hell happened on Friday night? I know he was just trying to get Nikhazy through another inning. He's at 80 pitches. But Christ alive, if you go to Broadway there, and I know he gives up the run when his team's already behind in the night because he makes an error. But And you go to Broadway there, I don't think UCF scores. 
agree with that as well. And just kind of to kind of put some color around the situation we were talking about in the season opener. Yeah, obviously you had Nikhazy struggle. Both of those starters not making it out of the second inning was so weird. That second inning was a two concession uh, stand trip inning for me. I mean, that inning was literally an hour, almost an hour and 10 minutes, but Kimball was okay. Kind of petered around a little bit at the end. I say, okay, he was actually pretty good two and a third with the strikeout a walk and a couple of hits, but McDaniel kind of peters around. And then he just said, hey, Broadway, like, go get me 12 outs. Like, I mean, and he was absolutely flawless. And so that's kind of, you know, if you're looking for evidence to how Mike's evolved as a manager, I think that's it. And then to your point against UCF, it did not pan out that way. He's trying to get Nikhazy through another inning. I get that. And then, you know, Miller's not great. He gets, did Miller didn't record an out. Did he record? Yeah, he was inning of two-thirds, two uh, two walks and a hit. Wasn't great. And then Broadway's fine, whatever. Ole Miss takes one on the chin there. But is that a lesson he's going to have to learn as well? When you have this bullpen, you don't need to get Nikhazy into the seventh? Because yeah, in years, particularly early in the year, he's so you know he used to get so uptight about pitch counts ever since that became a thing. You rarely see a kid get above 80-something, and he let Nikhazy go 90 in his second start. Do you yeah. think some of that was just to rectify, kind of get the bad taste out of his mouth after the first one? Well, I, I think some of it, and I don't know how many Doug threw in the seventh inning. I think some of it was Doug, frankly, needed to throw those pitches because he throws 40 the week before. Um, and, and he thinks that Doug can just get those guys out. And and if you watch Doug Nikhazy pitch in his Ole Miss career, he has good reason to believe he can just get those guys out. Um, and, and I think that was some of it. I, and I think Mike knows he messed that one up. If you go to Broadway to start that inning, he gives you two innings and, you know, you let Chofi or – Johnson or whoever closed the game out. Um, and, and I just, and I'm not blaming Mike per se. Like, you got to do what you got to do to get your team ready for conference play. I get that. My argument would be that when conference play rolls around and you've got a lead in the seventh inning with Doug DeCasey on Friday night, like, just, I don't know, hypothetically, you're up one to nothing on Kumar Rocker in the top of the seventh inning. Just get Doug out, put, put Broadway in. Um, and either let him finish it or get two innings and get to the end and, and let someone else finish it. Because on Saturday, uh, Gunnar Hoagland's going to give you seven innings and two runs, and you're probably, if you show up at all, offensively going to win the baseball game. And you say seven innings and two runs, the way he's pitching the baseball like now, it's very uh, it's very 14 Christian Trent-ish. And I know it's, it's early in the year, and that's kind of unfair to say because Trent put together an absurd type season. But I, I guess my the point I'm trying to make in that sense is like, it's getting to the point with the way he pitched before the shutdown last year and the way he's pitched through two games, particularly his swing and miss numbers. If I'm not mistaken, he struck out 10 dudes on Saturday and didn't walk anyone. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, that he was seems, third, man. That seems okay. But to your point, it's it's almost like seven, you know, seven innings, two runs, exactly what you're talking about. But it, I guess my point being is like, it almost seems automatic at this point. And obviously there's going to be bumps in the road, but to your point, like, Exhaust the bullpen on Friday night because you know you're getting linked on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. And if you don't, well, you're going to have a bad weekend. But if Gunnar Hoagland doesn't. But are you going to have a bad – I say exhausted. Be more, I don't know, liberal, aggressive, whatever the word is, with, you know, burning bullets, I guess, is the best way to put it on Friday nights because you're assuming you're going to get linked on Saturday. But even if you don't and Hoagland has to come out in the fifth, aren't you deep enough to just kind of get it through the Saturday? And then Sunday's a crapshoot anyway, and you got a better gun on the mound than most teams are going to have on Sundays as your starter. And, and, and 
you know, this is something that, you know, where I'm not blaming Mike Bianco. I think he has to get used to this bullpen depth because he's never had this before. He's never had seven, eight, nine, ten guys that he can go to in a tough situation. Um, so you gotta you gotta be able to practice that and figure out how you need to best use it. So look, I think that he made a decision that cost his team a game on Friday night. And I also think that he was extremely good in Arlington and maybe made some decisions to win the baseball games. So I just think that as the season goes on, Mike's going to have a better feel for how he needs to use his bullpen. And frankly, look, like I get all the Mike Bianco, you know, that, uh, you know, deters and, and whatnot. You know, he's not gotten to Omaha enough. I get it. But in game, I don't think he gets is I think Mike Bianco is a very good in game coach um, for the most part. And I think people just overreact to any decision that goes wrong with him. And I know I'm saying that. I'm speaking out of two sides of my mouth. But I disagree with the decision that he made on Friday night. But for the most part, this guy kind of knows what he's doing. You're, but, you're, but both things can be true. You're allowed to disagree with it without saying it's some catastrophic indictment on his ability to run the program and manage the game. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's in between there. And that's fine. Like, like, this is as good a time as any. We're, we're a half hour into this thing. Let's just get into this conversation because I find it an interesting one. And it was one, as much as he would not have uh, liked me to do, I was going to write about fairly extensively last year as that team really just kind of started flying almost too close to this. I say too close to the sun. They didn't lose a game or anything before the restart, but we're just on a tour, you know, I can't even talk today, a rocket ship to the moon type pace in terms of the way that team was playing baseball last year for the restart. He, um, He's changed as a manager, and you know that was kind of this. It, it sucks that they got came short of Omaha in 2019 by a game, and everyone's sitting there thinking, or you know, the narrative is great. Mike Bianco can't get out of another postseason, or can't get out of another super. But the real story that came out of 2019 is how number five changed as a as a coach and as a manager. Because if you remember, I think it was the regular season finale in 2019. They were playing at Tennessee. And that was as bad and as lifeless as an Ole Miss baseball team with that much talent had played in a long time. And, you know, it's a different world back then in a lot of ways, but he was canned, basically. Yes, he was done. They had gotten to State the week before. They had lost to Arkansas State on Tuesday night. They had lost their two games to uh, the first two games to Tennessee. After losing to Tennessee Tech in a regional, he's not going to host with one of the most talented teams in Ole Miss history. He was getting fired until Ross Bjork went to Texas A&M. Well, and then simultaneously, you know, I mean, I, I say, you know, Ross stays and that still Ole Miss run happens. You know, he's probably spared anyway. Yes, but, yes. He, he shaved himself in Hoover that year. Right. And so that team goes to Hoover and – you know, they, I can't, I, I should have walked through, I should have had it pulled up like who they played, but they kind of I, had a tough early game. They, they beat Missouri on a Tuesday. That's right. And then they beat, they won like a 1 0 game or a 2 1 game right. the next they beat day. They Arkansas on Wednesday. They beat AM 1 to nothing. They beat Arkansas on Friday. They beat Georgia on Saturday and lose on Sunday to Vanderbilt in a walk off. Right. And Saturday was that game where, where, uh, where Georgia threw the Losey kid and Hancock and Ole Miss beat them somehow. They threw both of those kids in one game just to kind of get them some work and Ole Miss, Ole Miss beat both of them. But, you know, they get through that game against Missouri, the single elimination game, because they were 
I mean, they were really screwed if they had lost that. It's like, okay, you're a, you're a hapless three seed. If that, like, where, where do you just kind of go to end this? And then they win a tough game against A&M where Doug Nikhazy pitched his ass off. And then they get, to your point, they beat Arkansas. Or no, didn't they lose to Arkansas? And they then lost beat Arkansas. They lose to Arkansas on Wednesday. Doug throws on Thursday and beats A&M. Gunner beats Arkansas on Friday. Roth beats uh, Georgia on Saturday. That's right. And so that that Wednesday game or Thursday game, whichever it was against A&M, that kind of allowed them to keep going in the tournament, wasn't a pretty game. But those dudes were alive in the dugout. You have Zach uh, Phillips, the left-handed kid, doing the whole Ninja Turtle thing. They were having a lot more fun and a lot more loose. And then they beat Arkansas the next day. Kevin Graham, I remember that day, hit a ball to the moon. And, like, a team that had really just kind of, like, sleptwalked, through the entire, I say the entire season, that's not fair. A team that really just seemed like they were in a funk ever since that day in June in 2018, like kind of came to life. And like Mike was all with the whole, you know, dugout antics and them, you know, he just really kind of let them loose. And I think whatever he did and whatever he said to them changed the way they kind of go about the game, took the pressure off. And, you know, if Mike Bianco does kind of have this second act at Ole Miss, let's just say with one of these two teams, whether it's this year, next year, whatever, he gets over the hump and he gets back to Omaha and he kind of gets to rightfully, in my opinion, kind of go out on his own terms at Ole Miss. I think those two and a half weeks in 2019, if you're writing the book on Mike Bianco, are probably the most important chapter because I think it birthed the second act because there probably isn't one if he doesn't make a fundamental change in how he does things. And it happened in front of our eyes right then. It just sucks they lost a game on Monday in Fayetteville. Right, because you, you run out of pitch, and Arkansas was really good. Like, people – and I won't spend a ton of time on this. People do the, you know, ch- you know we choking game threes. It's like, no, Arkansas just won a baseball game. If you want to talk about really choking that game or, or Texas, sure, okay. But they didn't choke that. They just got beat. Um, but, you know, and, and if you think back at that 2019 dynamic on that team, I mean, you, you're looking at guys like Greg Kessinger and Thomas Dillard, who those guys grew up massive Ole Miss fans. Like, like they know the history of Ole Miss baseball – and, and, and you get swept by Mississippi State, and you're not playing well, and everybody wants your coach fired, and, and you, don't, you don't play well under those circumstances. And, and from what I kind of understand, Mike told him before that Saturday, it's like, look, I love you. Just, just, just go play, and you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Because, look, if, <laughs> here's the thing about Mike Bianco. Everybody wants to run him off, whatever. Mike Bianco gets fired at Ole Miss in 2019. That man has a job in under what? 30 minutes, an hour, like, like he's going to be fine in coach baseball for a long time. Uh, even if, you know, God forbid he was run off in 2019. So yes, he, he's a completely different person. And I know people will do, I, I've heard that before. No, you haven't. You have not heard and you've not seen like the completely different guy that this cat is because like we mentioned on, uh, on Friday night, like, Parrish's Zoom messes up after Mike just gets beat three to two because some guy named, uh, you know, Chandler Gordon shoves it up their tail for seven innings. And like he's cracking jokes with Suss and Parrish off. And like 15 years ago, he would have been losing his mind. Mike loves screwing with Parrish about his video issues, by the way. That is very surprising, though, that he did that after a loss, to your point. But yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I think that that's a pivotal moment in the career of Mike Bianco if he does have this second act, which, by the way, if just to say he does get canned, I think he'd get a better job anyway. But how 
how big of a just a SOB to the Miami's, Florida States, and Florida of the world if Mike had taken over like one of the directional schools in Florida after that? <laughs> well, he would be the biggest pain in the ass of those programs. He that would actually have been kind of fun to watch. I'm you know watch him take over Central Florida and ruin their lives. Oh, he would. Yeah, he would be the biggest pain in their asses. But yeah, to your point, it, he's a he is definitely a change manager in personality and the way he deals with the media minus one person who maybe should not be named and maybe host this show. He, he's changed in that sense. He's changed in the way his philosophy is. I think you know. We, we, I won't get too far into it. We used to make the joke about the whole analytics guy they have and that, but it seems like he is, that's slowly growing on him. How many How many butts do you think Ole Miss has in seven games this year? Zero. Zero. That is correct. They have zero. How many bunts through, what, their seven games? In the year 20 <laughs> – let's just say 20 – because the, the last time he was really in, 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 in deep – Deep shit in terms of his job security. It's probably eleven. How many bunts through seven games do they have in twenty eleven? I'm gonna go with more than zero. Yeah, exactly. Like so, the, the people like the the whole analytics thing, and it's a huge debate in college baseball because the sample size and stuff. But it's it's very obvious that has grown on him. No, no, absolutely. Um, and you know, he even talks about it in, in like post game interviews about you know when people like, and I'm not gonna because. People make fun of me if I go too far. And it's like people confuse analytics all the time with like just batting average and numbers and all this stuff. It's like, no, analytics is like looking at Taylor Broadway's fastball and realizing if you turn his hand angle one degree to the left, he's going to have way more run on it. Go listen to Mike talk about Taylor Broadway after the game on Saturday against uh, University or TCU. Go, go listen to that. And then, like, that guy doesn't do that four years ago he just he watches him and he fixes him on his own and now taylor broadway's fastball cuts like a mat like a madman i mean it's yeah it, this this guy's completely different and i i it sucks and i i know i've said this before it sucks they lost that game in arkansas because man if they make the college world series in 19 like all of this is put to bed and you can just go play and I feel like if this team in June just goes and plays, because I think they're going to get a whole lot better over the next three months, if this team in June will just go play, I, I don't really have much doubt that they'll be in the College World Series. And they will, because that team in 19 did that. They yeah, just weren't they good that they just weren't good enough. That Arkansas team was really damn good, man. Like, and you know, and, and think about it. This version of them, they should plant play this team against that Arkansas team this year. Ole Miss would have like Ole Miss is better equipped this year, and I, I know that's not the great point, but I guess what I'm trying to say is you got to remember you had freshman Gunnar Hoagland going in Good 2019 versus in game two. Exactly. And so you're just much better equipped. That team just wasn't good enough. And Arkansas was really good. And so I guess I'll, I'll, I'll follow up with two points before we kind of bring it back down to earth in terms of kind of the map, the micro of this team is one could not agree more about the whole, you know, that was a point that me and Ben made on the podcast a lot. Uh, or not say me and Ben, I guess I was still at super talk then in 2020 before the shutdown, the whole like Kessinger Ole Miss fan, you know, Dillard, Ole Miss fan, you know, that whole trio, the Oxford three, Oxford four that ended up being the Oxford three, they felt the weight of it. And then on top of that, yes, I understand from a fan's perspective, Texas, and Virginia probably hurts a little more, and Miami's probably somewhere there mixed in between. But in terms of player psyche and what would mess a player up, 
I would say the 2018 losing two games in two days to Tennessee Tech is probably the most excruciating of all of them if your name is not Evan Button. It's, it and was the worst day in Mike's career. There's no doubt. He, he called it that. He said it was the worst day of his professional life. And so you add that onto the psyche of a bunch of kids from Oxford that know the history, it's kind of inevitable. And, you know, and I, it's, it's kind of weird how this works out and it's weird how sports generates these stories is that it's, it's Mike changes because he has a team that's really just kind of reached their breaking point from a pressure and a psyche standpoint into where his default used to be. Let's add more pressure to him. It's not possible. Like he could not have added more pressure to that team in 2019 because they had already wilted. I mean, they were literally just wilting and collapsing on the field. I say literally figuratively in Tennessee that day. Like you couldn't put more pressure on them. So honestly, and I'm never, I'll never be able to ask him this and maybe no one ever will. But do you think he got to a point where he's sitting in his office one night, whether it's at his house, whether it's at the facility or whatever, and just thought, I don't have any other choice but to loosen up because there's nothing left for me to do? I, I mean, I think that happened that Friday night when, you know, because if you think back to that Tennessee series, they they lose on Thursday 7 to nothing. I mean, Etheridge doesn't pitch well and, and they, they can't hit. Friday night. And the body language is bad. It is. But Friday night, they're up 4 to 2. And they bring Caracy in, who's just been nails to that point. And just he gets shellacked. And and I think at that point, like Mike realized, all right, th- th- this if I don't loosen this team up, they're screwed. They show up to that game on Saturday. Um, Ryan Olenek has not pitched in two months now. Um, and he closes that game out, if you remember. He's like just yeah. going berserk on the mound throwing 90-mile-an-hour fastballs at Tennessee's, and he closes that game out. Then on Tuesday in Hoover, he closes Missouri out. Um, I, I just kind of think, yeah, like at some point that Friday night in the hotel in Knoxville, Tennessee, he said, all right, I, if I'm going to go down, if this is going to be it, I'm not going down because my kids are tight and scared to death. And, and to his credit, they weren't. And the ever-humble Ryan Olenek was a – just a treat to interview after he started closing games again. I say that tongue in cheek. Olenek was a great dude. Very oh, much enjoyed interviewing him. He was always funny. He's just, he's not short on confidence, I'll say, <laughs> to say the least. And you bring probably, he's probably the most confident guy I've ever covered in any program that I've ever been around, college or pro. I mean, Ryan, you told Ryan Olenek that he couldn't be an astronaut and he'd probably try to launch himself to the moon within a day. And just listening to him after he successfully closed a college baseball game after not pitching for a while was very humorous. The second point I'll make before we get back to the kind of micro of this team before we close it out is you mentioned the analytics piece, and I think it's a really good point you brought up with uh, Taylor Broadway and the angle and the fastball or whatever. The way Mike is embracing analytics is not in the batting order. Just ask our friend Ben Garrett and how frustrated he gets at the composition of the batting order, which – Yes, matters to some degree, but not nearly as much as other facets of the game. So Mike's not embracing analytics by batting his best hitter second, you know, kind of the more modern age of thinking. The way analytics are kind of finally creeping into the program are, to your point, like Broadway and the way these guys are pitching and how they're using, honestly, how they improve year to year. Yeah, and I don't think that should be understated. Um, you know, they, they, they're really big on track, man, and Rapsodo, and it's a really good program. Um, and, and they've made Max Trophy's fastball look, I think he throws 90 to 91, but 
coming out of his hand. He looks like he throws 94 to 95. Um, Will Etheridge was a guy that they really, really helped uh, with those programs. And, yeah, that's that's where you talk about analytics and, and what you can do. I mean, Gunner develops a slaughter um, off this thing that, you know, his curveball was not good in 2019. Now he throws a slaughter that's unfreaking hittable. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's like people confuse analytics all the time to me is you know, people blame analytics like, and, and I won't get too far into this, but people blame analytics for coaches just doing stupid things. Like when, uh, you know, Kevin Cash takes Blake Snell out they're like, Oh, the nerds are ruining baseball. It's like, no, Kevin Cash is just being an idiot. Like the, the numbers didn't tell Kevin Cash to take him out. He's just being a moron. Um, you know, and so I get frustrated when people blame analytics on things that aren't analytically based. But, yeah, that, that that's how they're using it. And that, I think that's kind of the fascinating thing about how they're, they're making guys better. And it sounds like we're giving Mike too much credit for embracing baseball analytics in the year 2021. But I would just I'll close with this on this subject is you're talking about a guy. I guess this could be outdated and I, I it could have changed since, but you're talking about a guy as of 2018 was still on their road trips, waking up and coffee, uh, getting coffee in their hotel and reading the physical newspaper um, as of two years ago at minimum. Uh, so, so everyone's finally kind of coming around. So anyway, kind of bringing it back to this team. Let's do what we'll get into the offense in a second. I think the story of the year from a pitching standpoint is uh, Gunnar Hoagland, and I don't think it's really close. You know, you talk about a guy where in 2019, you know, he shows up to campus. He was the first round pick of the Pittsburgh Pirates. You know, you hear about him. But he, he, you know, what was it? He walked no hitters or walked one hitter his entire his, senior yeah, year. Yeah, something like that. Which honestly is almost a bad thing. You figure you want to get out of the zone enough to walk a couple of other guys. But <laughs> your point, this incredible command. You know, but his freshman year, he was so fastball reliant, and it wasn't that great, and he had nothing behind it, and I, you know. I'm by far a seam head from the sense that like projecting guys and how they look in the draft. I mean, I I've covered enough baseball. Baseball is my favorite sport, obviously that I can kind of tell, but in terms of just like guys projectability and all that, I don't pretend to be an expert on that, but man, I looked at chase halfway through the year, uh, his freshman year. I was like, I, I don't see this. Like what, like what did the pirates see? Could someone explain this to me? Because with, I guess a, a, the, the other side of the coin here is you remember Ryan Rollison, yeah, I saw that. His last year, but it didn't matter at all because it was fastball command and a scout can fix that. And like his stuff was so ridiculous. It was still obvious, no matter what Ryan Rollison did at Ole Miss that second year he was there, he was going to be a first round pick. With Gunner, it was kind of like, I don't understand what they saw and I don't see this. And the turnaround he's had from his freshman year to now is is really just remarkable. But I guess the question I'll pose for you is why and how? Um because he throws harder now, so that helps. And and they they developed a slider because the curveball that he threw in Florida uh, was it was good enough to get good high school hitters off his fastball that could catch up to ninety to ninety three. Um, but it wasn't good enough to get people out in the SEC level. And he now throws a ridiculously good slider along with a, a changeup. And if you remember back to two thousand nineteen, his best pitch was changeup. Um, so now his changeup is, is complemented by the slider. His fastball is ticked up velocity-wise. He throws 93 to 95 now. Um, and I think that gets even harder when it gets warmer in April and May. I, I think he's going to sit 94 to 97. Um, and his fastball – and here's an analytics thing for you. 
his fastball is 93 to 95. But, like, there's different 93 to 95-mile-an-hour fastball. His fastball plays a lot harder than that with the R- from an RPM standpoint um, and, and, you know, vertical break, whatever you want to call it. He's really, really good because of the way they've helped him, uh, you know, first off with the slider and the way they've changed the trajectory of, of his fastball. Here's a take. He's their ace. Yeah, and, and what I worry about is I don't – I think they need to leave him on Saturday because, man, you went on Friday night and you got Gunnar Hoagland to deal with on Saturday. Good luck. That's a hell of a – that's you ain't going to sleep much that night. It's a similar dynamic to the end of 2019. Like whatever you want to talk about stuff-wise and, and, and you know, whatever else you want to put into it. But, you know, uh, Doug was you know pretty cut and dry better than Etheridge for the second half of the year, but it, it didn't matter. It was kind of a similar dynamic. Sure. Um, but I, I think this one's even, and Doug's good now. Like, don't don't misquote me, anyone, and, and think I'm ragging on Doug here. This is how good Gunner is. Gunner's better, more. Gunner is a better pitcher. There's more of a gap in between Gunner and Doug than there was Doug and Etheridge. Agree, probably. Uh, yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that as well. But to your point, I mean, Doug gives you a chance pretty much every Friday night, and then you're. Oh, you, yeah. you mean, you have the advantage every single Saturday. Yes, you have the advantage every single Sunday too. I was about to say, yeah. I mean, this is you know, Derek Diamond is no Sam Smith. Like <laughs> he's uh, he's he's probably not staying on Sunday for his entire career. Like yeah, he'll be the Friday night guy next year. Yeah, absolutely. And that's 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 what again you talk about things that make this team different and what makes this team actually equipped to have the firepower to get over the hump and get to Omaha and, you know, super regionals. We've talked about this before, kind of a crapshoot. You play all these games, you play a two out of three, but what gives you the sure fire firepower to kind of roll through a super and two, or just kind of not make it interesting. It's the bullpen depth. And it's the fact that if it does get to a third game, you're better every single opponent you play. Yeah. Because if you're, you're better, better on the mound than every single opponent, right. you can say. And, and, and like, if you're managing a super regional, and I know that on Sunday, like I start my Super Regional on Friday, and I know that on Sunday, my guy on Sunday's better than their guy on Sunday, and Ole Miss's guy on Sunday is going to be better than just about everybody else's guy on Sunday. Then I manage my first two games differently, right? Like I might throw some guys in my first two games that I might have to hold back for Sunday if my Sunday guy's not very good, that I don't because my Sunday guy throws 97 miles an hour. Not to mention just the mindset of with this bullpen depth coupled with the fact that in the postseason, if you win twice, there is no Sunday. You know, in the regular season, you know, obviously you want to win series, but sweeps are really kind of what make the difference in the standing, sweeping and not getting swept. You manage differently because it's like you still have to get to Sunday. You win twice in June, you, there is no Sunday. Sure. And, you know, and and that's why, look, this weekend happened, Ole Miss can and, – and I think some – Ole Miss fans struggle with this, and I did, you know, not long ago. Not every weekend has to be an indictment. Like, sometimes you just play like shit, and, and they played like shit this weekend, and that's okay. Like, they hadn't played like crap in a long time. They have a bad weekend. Let me see how they respond Tuesday against Memphis. Let me see how they play against Belmont because it's baseball. MLB plays 162 games. You're going to play five, uh, 56 regular season games in college. Like, you're going to have bad weekends. Let me see how you bounce back, and that's how I'll be able to tell what this team can do. Yeah, was the offense not great? Sure. But, like, and I looked this up this morning. 
the offense was fine in Texas. They had like a 750 OPS in Texas against three top 10 teams that threw power arms. It was god awful against UCF. Like, you're trying to tell me that the offense that showed up against UCF is the one that's going to be there throughout the season compared to the one that showed up in Arlington? Like, I'm not buying that. No, I think that's what we said, both kind of agreed on at the top of this podcast. It's like they're going to hit. And, you know, kind of at the same time, just generally speaking, it's also not like they played like shit against Princeton. Like, TC, I, oh. I mean, UCF was ranked a week ago. And, yeah, they played like ass, and they lost – they lost the series because of it. And how they were a walk-off and a Tim Elko double down the right field line away from potentially getting swept. But, like, they played bad, and they played bad against a good team and got beat two out of three. It happens. But to your point, you know, every weekend's kind of got to be an indictment in the eyes of some fans, and that's just fanhood in general. Like, I, that's kind of what makes fans, you know, fun and irrational at the same time. But there's probably also a little bit of this is the fact that they had not lost a series since June of 2019. That's a long time. Like it, it, it's a feeling that has not been felt in quite a while. Well, they haven't faced any adversity. And I guess if you want to say losing game one in Arkansas, some adversity, sure, I guess. But you've got Doug McKaysey on the mound and your season's on the line. I don't really know if I'd call that adversity. You haven't really faced any – well, sure, I, I'll say this. You haven't really faced any adversity in two years, you know, or, uh, in, you know, 18 months. I don't you know, know they've faced any adversity since Knoxville. Yeah, well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll count the game one loss and, you know, fable, sure. But even if you do that, 18 months, because you lose to Reed Detmers last year, everybody was going to lose to Reed Detmers. That's what was going to happen. He was going to kick everybody's ass. And so that's not really adversity. 18 months, like, you're due a bad weekend of baseball. And, and another thing, like, people are starting to make me upset with this offense. It's like, y'all realize, and this is kind of insane to me, you realize Tim Elko doesn't have many more plate appearances than Greg Kessinger did as a freshman? Like, give these dudes just a little bit of time before y'all panic, please. Yeah, I agree. And that's a decent transition because that's exactly kind of where I was wanting to get into next before we got out of here. The last topic we kind of covered, you know, to your, like, as, as we kind of mentioned earlier, offense in Texas was fine. I thought, you know, good. You could call it good. Just wasn't great. Like they didn't, you know, they didn't mash the cover off the ball. And then the offense sucked this weekend. And I, this sounds dumb, but, and I'm not making an injury excuse, but they technically weren't at full strength. And I know, you know Chatagne is not any sort of just world beater in terms of the power he brings at the play. But I mean, the kid did have five hits and 11 at bats with three runs scored through the first three games or two and a half or whatever it was before he got hurt. Like that's important. And that kid brings a lot of energy to them. And I know that's not like a huge thing in baseball, but like, you know, he's a kid dunking with, with Servideo last year for a reason. And you could tell like to me, in my mind, when we, when we made that point that we referenced a couple minutes ago about how this team was just different. And that team last year kind of didn't really care about the pressures and all that. And just had the little F you attitude. Like, I guess I didn't really ever finish that thought. But two guys came to mind, and it's when they won the Louisville game on Sunday. And, you know, they're getting asked all these questions. Like, they're getting asked after the game these questions about, like, you know, that had to feel good, blah, blah, blah. You know, without saying it, coming off the last couple of years of disappointment, a good start in another season. Like, Derek Diamond's kind of looking around, not really picking up what any of us are putting down. He's like, yeah, this team's really good. I think he said, we're a bunch of dogs. Like, we're going to be good. And then Chatagne, we interviewed him after the Saturday game. I don't remember what he did, like, well or whatever, but for whatever reason, he got interviewed. And, 
you know, he's talking 100 miles an hour, and he's like, yeah, this team's awesome. Like, I think we're going to win a bunch of games. And, like, they just kind of had that carefree FU attitude. And so he's one of the two guys that I kind of think of when I think of the energy and identity of this team. And it kind of sucked not having him out there for them. Oh, yeah. I mean, because your three replacements, I mean, Garrett Wood, uh, John Rice Plumley, and, and TJ McCants go hitless um, in the games that they played. Um, you know, that they, I, I know some of those, I think McCants had a hit in a, in a pinch hit situation or something, but when they replace, you know, shot, yeah, you go hitless and, and don't play extremely well. So, yeah, they missed him. Is they the reason they lost? You know, maybe not. I will say this I sure would have liked, and, and we can talk about this if you want to after, you know, we discussed the offense. Sure would have liked to seen about 9,000 people um, in Swayze on Friday night make, yeah. make, make the life miserable in the bottom of the ninth inning. Because uh, I saw on Saturday, the dude freaked out quick. Yeah, that makes a difference. And you, it's interesting. You, you see that in NBA games now where you see these teams on the – I was watching an NBA game the other night. You see these teams on the road, and, like, they, like it's an inferior team that's kind of clinging to, like, a three-, four-point lead in the third, fourth quarter or whatever. And, like, normally, you know, Gian, like if it's the Bucks or something and they're down and Giannis has a couple of dunks, the crowd starts going nuts and the road team just kind of wilts and goes on to the next city. But that's not happening now because, you know, there's no one in the stands. It's kind of the same thing in baseball. Like, it, to your point, it makes it makes a difference. But I guess we'll start off generally offensively. Just any main takeaways other than the fact that John Rice Pumley leads the team in slugging and OPS? Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> Dude, he matched that ball Tuesday. I'll give him that. I'll give him that. I will. I will grant him that. He's actually, from what I have heard, it's been pretty decent in the preseason offensively, which is surprising because oh. we talked about this during football season. There wasn't really a world where he ever projected him contributing, and that still may end up being the case. But hey, get hit a dinger. Sure. Um, Hayden Dunhurst. All right, I'll start off with the good. Hayden Dunhurst is really good. Um, frankly, he if he hits, he might be the first pick in the draft next year. And now I say that not knowing what's coming. Like, I don't know the draft field for next year, but I know if I got a freak of a defensive catcher that can hit, he, he ain't going to last real long if I'm a GM. Um, so he's really good. Justin Bench hits really well this weekend, uh, played really, really good defense. You know, he, he good player. Jacob Gonzalez has a tough weekend, you know, and, and that's what happens when you're a freshman. What I was impressed with Gonzalez about, he has this tough weekend. I know he has two hits, I guess, on Saturday morning. Uh, two infield hits. He doesn't hit the ball hard. Those at, those at bats. He didn't let it carry over to defense. He still hasn't made an error this year, if I'm not mistaken. And, and what everybody's going to talk about is Tim Elko, Kevin Graham, uh, Ben Van Cleaver. They're not producing right now. Okay. Yeah, and they're not. They're, they're not hitting well. But, like, the option to me isn't, all right, put Tim Elko and Kevin Graham on the bench. It's like, no, drop them in the order and look them in the eyes and say, boys, you are not coming out of this lineup. Figure it the hell out because uh, we're not very good if y'all can't play. So that, that that's what I would do. Like, Tim Elko is not coming off this field. Just figure it out, kid, because I've got 53 games left, and, and you got to figure it out if we're going to be good. Um, and I'd be the same way with Kevin Graham to an extent. Agree. And I would actually kind of center more of that towards Elko and Van Cleve because at the same time, uh, you know, Kevin Graham would agree has not been great, but he does have six hits and three walks. And I think he's had 26 at bats. But, you know, we talked about this last year and the storyline was the same, the same this year, in my opinion. You know, you give me two guys numbers offensively and you tell me what this team's ceiling is. You're looking at 
Tim Elko, and I guess to a different degree, Van Cleef's kind of become in there, and they haven't produced yet. But those two guys have to. Like, and I, I agree, Kevin Graham's in there as well. But I would argue that Kevin Graham is slightly more replaceable than particularly Elko. I guess I'm centering all this on Elko. That guy has to hit, and he hasn't yet. That's no. the only, that would if you're looking for a cause for concern, I would say that's it. Yeah, and and anyone saying put him on the bench, that ain't happening, and it doesn't need to happen. What, why, what else are you going to do? I mean, I yeah, guess like, obviously like, he's in April and he's still sucking. You figure sure. something out. But what do you gain by doing that now? Like, yeah, what are you going to do? Put TJ McCants at third who's not playing well right now? Like, yeah, I get he's a freshman and he looks really good. But, you know, I mean, Calvin Harris can't play in the field. I, there's not just – and, you know, we talk about bullpen depth. Not a ton of depth in that offense right now. Um, not a lot of guys you're comfortable grabbing off the bench. I don't know – What's up with Kemp Alderman? He hasn't played yet, and maybe he's redshirting. I don't know, but I know they were super high on that kid when they got him to campus. Hadn't, hadn't taken it a bat yet. Um, Sucks that Harris is not full of strength, too. That's yeah, a bummer. He, for this. he would be in the lineup every day, and he may be eventually if he hits. Um, but, yeah, like like the option to replace Tim Elko is just not there. So don't tell me to put him on the bench. You want to say drop him in the order? Sure, I'm fine there. But, no, like, that kid's just got to figure it out. <laughs> I mean, that, it's that simple. Put him five, six, seven, eight, nine. I don't care. He, he has to figure it out. He has to hit or this team's not going to do much. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it, they, for those that may not be as familiar, Calvin Harris, a uh, very talented catching prospect, has a – is it an MCL or UCL injury? I'm not a doc. No, UCL's your arm. MCL. Uh, that was that was easily solved, right? It is a, it's an MCL deal with him, right? No, no. MCL is your knee. Uh, UCL. No, I Excuse me. MCL is a knee. He has a UCL injury, so he can hit, but he cannot catch. Correct. He had Tommy John. Yes, basically. That, that was very, very long, very, very, uh, much easier way to put it. Again, I, I stated that I'm not a doctor. I just pretended to be one on radio. That's a tough one for them. Um, on the good side, though, I'd say you missed one guy. I say missed one guy. You just didn't mention him. Trey LaFour been pretty good. Well, he's been special. Um, and Kel Baker he is very good. He just is very good. Yeah, yeah. And Kel Baker's been good. Um, so that's a little bit of a situation right there. Uh, if you got to put Lafleur and Baker both in your lineup, well, that kind of squeezes out Van Cleef because where are you putting him? Well, at the same time, what what is the, you know? It's it, I agree, and it's not um, with Van Cleef. It's not like there's a track record there where you're going to get. I guess if it, I guess what I'm trying to say is if he gets 20 games in and he's still not hitting, he's not getting the benefit of the doubt of, of someone else because it just hasn't happened on a consistent basis yet. So, no. I mean, gun gun to your head, does that happen? Like, are we in April? Is it Lafleur and Baker every day, or is Van Cleef still getting you know two two starts a weekend? I think Van Cleef figures it out. Okay, um, I don't know who that's at the expense of. I don't know if you, you try to get LaFleur into the outfield. Um, I've been told that's something they're trying to do. I don't think it's going um, – I don't think he's ready to play outfield in the SEC level yet, but I think that's something they're going to try to want to do. Doesn't um, it feel like he's a kid, though? Like there's a kid every year that just kind of works his way into the lineup like most days and just kind of like one of the like will not be denied type of kids. I know it's early. I know it's seven games, but he, he kind of has that feel to it to where it's like, okay, eventually we're going to have to find a spot for this kid, the way he's swinging it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's special, man. He, he, he's got a really, really high ceiling. So yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um, 
I think Van Cleve figures it out, and, and here's why I think. Let me make sure I say this correctly. Um, I, I don't – Van Cleve – hold on. Let me oh – my, my stat sheet is not working how I want it to. Uh, would you like to know how many strikeouts Ben Van Cleve has this year? Just take a guess. Uh, I'll tell, let, me t- let me tell you how many at-bats he has. He has 16 at-bats. Would you like to take a guess how many strikeouts he has? Zero. That'd be zero. I think he figures it out. Like you know, I, the the poor kids, and and I don't like doing this that this early. I, I just I don't think he's. I think he's got really good plate discipline. Um, I think he does well taking the ball to the opposite field. I think he figures it out, and I don't know who that keeps out of the lineup, but I I, I do think Ben Van Cleef is going to figure it out and, and be in a central part of this lineup. What worries you the most about the lineup? Um, well, so it, it's, are, are we, what worries me the most when Shat Ye's back or with him out? Uh, back. Cause it's a hammy. Like he, this kid's not going to be out in April. No, no, I wouldn't be shocked if he played maybe not this weekend, but the next, but anyways, um, when he's back, if Elko continues to not hit, I mean, obviously that's concerning, but outside of that, there feels like that. That's the main – like, if you tell me right now Tim Elko hits, you know, and has a non-50 OPS this year, it's going to be like, well, I, I don't really care about anybody else's numbers because I think Dunhurst is going to hit. I know Chatney is going to hit. I think John Gonzalez is going to be perfectly fine, even though I do think he needs to go down in the order because I think they're putting way too much pressure on a freshman hitting him in the top of the order like they are uh, where you don't really have to. Um, so, no, I, I think the story is Tim Elko. And, and – I'll go on record. I think Tim Elko is going to hit this year. I think he's going to have a 950 OPS and, and have a really good year. Um, so we'll see. I, I think if there's a concern, it's that he doesn't hit. But if I'm, you know, procrastinating or not procrastinating, it's not the word. If I'm guesstimating, I, I think the kid hits. Agreed. That was a uh, that was a lot of old Miss baseball talk. I you know with it, that was a lot of uh, analysis for seven games, but. Uh, I will, I'll tell you what, I will sum up, since we did all this Ole Miss baseball, um, I'll sum up the basketball situation. Bad. Yeah, just not an enjoyable watch, even when they're playing well. It's tough. I mean, I, I, I didn't – I didn't. I would be honest, I didn't watch much of Saturday. I had a lot of stuff to do around the house. I had the baseball game on, and, like, I was just re- very much, honestly, just too lazy to put the second screen up and have the hoops game on. But, man, Vanderbilt's down two of their best players in their top scorer, and you give up 75 points for a team that's pretty offensively challenged in a game that you had to win. I don't really know what else there is to do. What a weird team. But, you know, I, I still think he's got to find more bucket getters, like, in recruiting. And Deshaun Ruffin looks like that guy. Holy cow. But you better hope that he is just because – like to me, this is a Kermit team without an alpha on the offensive end because they play really well defensively at times, to where they win games they shouldn't. But they're so bad offensively, they can't overcome a bad defensive performance, and that's what happened Saturday. Yeah, uh, this team lost me when you know you, you have everything to play for. You're probably and and Joe Lenardi, I think, had them two spots out. You take the floor against your arch rival and in, in your house, you just get pumped. Like you never have the lead in that game. Um, even though they win at Missouri, I mean Missouri doesn't play well, and it, it, like it, there's just no consistency about them. They're eight and eight in the league, but it does not feel like they're eight. And eight. It feels like they're more like four and twelve. Um, 
And to your point with the state game, they weren't atrocious defensively. It just Schuler, what Schuler finished that game one of fifteen. I mean, they had like what, like four minutes left. They had like forty something points. Like, come on, it's unacceptable. Um, so, you know, I don't want to get look. It's two years now, and and look, I want to make this very clear that Ole Miss in no way should be thinking about moving on from Kermit Davis. That's insane. He needs to win next year. He does need to win basketball games next year. And I'm not saying he's got to make a tournament, but he needs to be better than he is this year. Agree. He also, though, he helped his cause, like them not being – because there was a you remember, there was a time oh. in early January where it looked like they were like, okay, this team might be one of the one of the worst three teams in the SEC. And they're not that. They're just not good enough offensively. I walked off that floor in Athens, Georgia, and I thought they might be the worst power five team in the country besides Kansas State. They're not that. They aren't that. I mean, but – yeah, it's it's not good. I mean, it, and it, it's like you said. I mean, yeah, you can be not good. Like AK had some teams that weren't good, but like I never, I always watched AK's team because they were fun. They they was gonna score. This team can't score. No, they don't, and they needs to find a guy. You know, I don't know what happens at the end of the year. This is purely speculation. Obviously, I'm not really plugged in at all anymore. But like. If this does, like, if if it goes bad enough in terms of like maybe they struggle down the stretch and they kind of make a coaching staff change, they need to find a guy that like. This is not a great example because it's like it's not like hey Bill Armstrong go find me Marshall Henderson and then go find me a more efficient version of him and Steph Moody because Kermit's never going to have a guard that just takes twenty five shots a game, but he needs to find a guy that gets like they need to recruit guards that can score more consistently within the program because they kind of rode the coattails of Brian Tyree and Terrence Davis. You know, sure, just kind of proved that he's not that guy on a consistent basis. And Joiner, while he's been better in the last month and a half, it's just not really the volume scorer maybe they thought he'd be. They played through a Romello. That works. You can play through a big like that when you're, you know, particularly when you're playing well defensively. But when you're getting torched defensively, throwing it into the post and letting that guy take 20 seconds to kind of find a rhythm and make a move doesn't really work. Long story short, maybe Ruffin's that guy, but they, they need to find a guard that gets you 18 a night. Well, yeah, I, I could not agree more. One of my best friends, uh, you know, Ruffin got beat last night. They did? Callaway? Yeah, Callaway got beat by Lake Comrade. One of my best friends coaches for Lake Comrade, so I was happy for him. That's the that's going to be the first year he doesn't win the state title. Also, real quick, what thoughts on this? So the MHSA State Championship Basketball Tournament starts, I believe, Wednesday. All right, follow me here. Wednesday is March 3rd. That's the end of Tate Reeves' and current executive order. If I'm correct, and this thing starts Wednesday, he's allowing 50% indoors to the basketball tournament. If you're going to allow 50% indoors to the basketball tournament, I expect that Swayze's 50% next weekend, right? Yeah, so uh, you're exactly right. I saw this on the internet earlier today as I was cleaning up some stuff out of my car or something. I don't know. I was flipping through Twitter, and I think my old uh, old pal Michael Borky mentioned that. It's like, well, why is Swayze and Duty Noble and Pete Taylor Park, like, why are they at, what is it, 15% capacity? Yeah, 25 now, but you can be 50 now. He has to change that, right? Like, if he doesn't change it, they're either morons or or it's an oversight. And, God, I hope it's – the latter, or actually, I just hope it gets changed. But yes, I, I do think that's coming, right? Because no offense, like when you go into the big house in Jackson, I think as they call it, also known as the Coliseum, COVID's not your worst worry. It's the asbestos in the building. So if you're letting 50% of the people pack that thing, please God let as many people as they want go to Swayze and Tootie Noble, man. Like, what? 
look, I, I have been someone, and I wound up getting the damn thing, and it, it's pretty rough. Um, but I've been someone that's pretty been pretty protective, and you know, done social distancing, wear masks. I'm to the point where I'm not saying you got to you got to make it a hundred percent, but I don't think we're far off from opening Swayze Stadium and Duty Noble Field putting a hundred percent capacity in there. I'm not saying it's right now, but I think it's close. I agree. You should get it back. I mean, obviously, Johnson & Johnson vaccine got approved today. That's a one-shot vaccine, which is probably – I mean, you think it, whoever takes that obviously speeds up the process. I agree. You know, obviously be responsible with it, kind of go on par with the numbers of vaccinations. But you know, would it stun me by mid-April if they kind of open up that thing to basically everybody? No, which is very uh, – very positive sign because I, you know, well, we don't have anything to do and anything else to get to. I was just thinking about this earlier today, man. Like, do you remember how demoralizing it was? We're not there yet. It was March 11th, right? The Rudy Gobert night. So we're not uh, there yet. I thought it, I can actually look it up because I was playing a baseball game the night it happened. Let's see, but go it's ahead. It's the 11th because I was actually visiting out here where I live now on my birthday the 9th, and I went to a Dallas Stars game the 10th. And they had a Mavs game the next night, and the world shut down that night as I was driving back. Okay. But, but be that as it may, whatever we're approaching that time, man. Do you remember the time last year? Just how terrible and demoralizing everything felt. Like, you know, I'm sitting on radio, and they've canceled. You know, they put a two week hiatus on the baseball season only to cancel it later, and then the NCAA tournament. Like, I remember when they announced the NCAA tournament was, was going to be played without fans. I was like, like this sucks. Do I really want to watch? And then they cancel the whole thing, and then they cancel the baseball season. You're like, holy hell, like, what is happening? Like, yes, this has not been great, and the handling of COVID has been far from perfect. I'm not trying to get into political debate, but it just feels good that we're talking about what we just talked about as opposed to, well, maybe next year we'll get fans. Yeah, and yeah, I, um, I, I remember vividly when it was – so you're right, it was the 11th. It was a Wednesday – morning I, yep. there was the conference tournament week and they just canceled every tournament and, and, and the thought went through my i was like we're done for a while um because you're you're talking about like you're talking about an ncaa tournament worth billions would they be that they just called it's off their main cash cow and they just called it off and and like i know baseball is not as big of a deal but it's their second biggest money uh postseason wise for the NCAA because the college football club doesn't it, it doesn't bring in I don't if I remember this right and Ron Polk always says this the college world series is the biggest besides basketball the biggest money maker for the NCAA because it's in sanction the other one's technically like independent or whatever I don't know the nerd language but and, and they just call us off and it's like we're done for a while and sure enough um man I I I will say this, and, and like I'm not trying to get too deep. COVID has made me not take as many things for granted anymore. Like I went to the Egg Bowl this year with my dad for like the first time in the first I don't know ten years. I think like since 2012, um, and like I just enjoyed being there um, because like it, you don't like realize, and I don't know if this is like the, that bullshit like high school like graduation thing, but like you really don't realize like all the cool stuff you get to do, like until you can't do it anymore. Um, and, and those four months that it, you had to sit in your house were not a fun experience. No, it sucked. I mean, literally other than going to the store and getting food, you couldn't do anything. There's nothing on TV. Like it was, it was, like, I mean, did you get to play golf during that? 
Yeah, basically. So there was yes, but there was a there was a two there was like a three week stretch where like you couldn't really, and then country clubs kind of figured out like, hey, actually we have five dudes and five separate carts outside. Like, could, could we get around this? And and that finally happened. And actually, golf uh, this pandemic actually helped golf. Like golf kind of experienced a boom as an industry during the pandemic. But you know what really got during you the pandemic? NASCAR. Yeah, I mean, what I mean, you couldn't do anything else. It was. It was terrible, but I agree 100%. And one of the notes I had written down for talking about going to those games last weekend just as a fan or whatever, I mean, that, other than that hockey game I went to as a birthday present, I hadn't been to a game as just like a spectator just to have fun in two and a half years, I guess, before the games in Arlington that last weekend, if you're discounting the hockey game I went to. And to your point about the Egg Bowl, it felt normal in Arlington last weekend, and that was my biggest takeaway. And was there a, my takeaway was, holy cow, could you imagine how many people would have be here if there oh, was COVID oh. and there wasn't a snowstorm? There was 16, 7, I know they sold 15,000, but once you get in, you got in for the day. There was 17-ish thousand people there on that Sunday, and it felt, other than obviously people wearing masks and like the lines for concession stands being a little weird and spaced out, it felt as normal as possible. And it honestly was a very good feeling. Like I, it, it felt like a normal, really cool college baseball event. And maybe that's a sign of the sport growing in popularity too, man. You had a snowpocalypse in Texas on top of a pandemic where there's limited seating. And there's people all over the lower two levels of that place. Imagine how many people would have been in there if we were in a normal world. I, I think it's two things, right? Like I think, I think college baseball is growing. I think, too, man, like you think about the Ole Miss fan last year. Think about being an Ole Miss fan last year, and, and that season just gets ripped out from you. And, like, I, I was as excited to watch Ole Miss baseball. I, I was as excited to watch an Ole Miss athletic event um, as I'd been in a long time um, to watch them play TCU because of just how last year ended. So I, I think it's two things with that. Were they pretty strict with the mask mandate there? No, not at all. And I don't mean that in like a no, like a, I don't mean that in a negative sense on uh, on the Rangers or whoever's running that tournament, but they weren't they weren't like making it unenjoyable. But for the most part, people are really responsible, man. I mean it's it's the way I mean, it, it's very simple. You walk into the stadium with a mask on. If you go to the concession stand, you put a mask on. If you're sitting in your seat, you take your mask off. And then they had I, the one thing I did not understand is like for social distancing, they had like certain seats blocked off with like yellow construction tape. I did not understand their methodology with that because you could sit like six to a group on a single row and then they'd have the next eight blocked off. And I didn't quite get their methodology on that. But one, I, I don't care. I was with a big group of people. Like I just kind of want to sit there with my friends and, you know, enjoy the games and have fun. Like I'm not complaining about it. Um, no, they were not like, like masked Nazis. I guess I put it that way. I'm they were really, basically. really hopeful. As someone that like doesn't mind wearing a mask most of them, because like I'm a school teacher, I have to wear the damn thing all day. Um, I am really, really hopeful that in June when Ole Miss hosts a regional, I don't have to like I don't mind wearing it to a concession stand or walk to the bathroom. I really don't want to sit there in a mask in a hundred degrees and watch Ole Miss play. I don't know Baylor for an uh, for a NCAA regional championship. Like that just seems miserable. Were they making people at Swayze this weekend wear masks while they're sitting down? I don't know. I haven't gone to a game. I do know in football it was not enforced. And I, I am hopeful, as again, as someone that wears a mask and believes them and thinks they work, 
I just think by June we should have this thing kicked in its teeth enough that we don't have to sit in 100 degrees in, in our mass. Oh, I didn't even I didn't even like wonder if that was a rule in Arlington. I just assumed once you sat down in your seat, you could take the thing off. Well, I mean, I was was, they, would, they would have said something to you, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it was fine, and and things felt normal for the first time in a while, and like which is cool. Yeah, it it was very cool, and like I I had a bunch of like quite a few college friends come into town for that, and so like between a couple of people staying with me and like trying to get off work and all that, like I hadn't really put much thought into it, like how nice it would be to go to an Ole Miss game again or just a game in general. But like once I sat down in the stadium, I was like, this kicks ass. Like <laughs> this is a lot of fun. Like it, it, it the last time. When's the last time you went to an Ole Miss game uh, just, like, as a fan? Uh, baseball? No, just at anything. Because you um, started – we were at the DM. I graduated in 16. So you started helping me in, like, fall of 15. Correct. So the you year- probably went as a student in 16 to games, too. Yes. So I went to a handful of football games – most all of them. I, I I covered LSU and one more in sixteen, and I went to that. So I guess other I took a game off for my twenty third birthday. The first year I got out of college, I had a couple people come in town, and instead of covering the baseball game, I went and sat in right field. And I let me tell you, I probably watched two pitches of that game. I was literally just I was into the cooler. I would say. <laughs> so literally five years. Yeah, aside from that, it was legitimately 2016 since the last time I've been to an Ole Miss sporting event as a uh, ticket holder. <laughs> it felt great. It was fun. It was, you know, that, did, that uh, did you heart? So uh, my, my you parents, when I when I had COVID, they they wanted me like keep check of like my heart rate and make sure like I wasn't like you know going crazy or my oxygen rate wasn't good. So they brought me this thing that I could stick on my finger and you know, measure my heart rate. And I shoot it. Did, did you feel like your heart rate going up when uh, the bases were loaded and against Texas Tech? Because that's the first time in a long time. Because you think about it, Ole Miss football, like, yeah, the I guess the game against LSU, there wasn't a whole ton of drama at the end of games with them. So I don't, I don't ever remember, like, my heart rate exploding. But that game against Texas Tech, God, I could feel my heart just beating with bases loaded, 3-2 count, and the, the winning run on second base. Like I, I think I took it. It was like 135. It's, it was scary high. To be honest, dude, I haven't gotten back to that point yet. I think I still have like the whole like jaded reporter mentality. Where I'm not sitting there like I didn't wear. My girlfriend looked at me and was like, "Do you not own any Ole Miss stuff anymore?" Like, I wore just normal golf shirts to the games each day because I didn't really even think about it. And I'm not trying to be like the whole like. No, I was sitting there impartial type of thing. I just didn't think about it. And honestly, I was so happy to be there and just like to be happy to be drinking a beer in a, in a baseball stadium. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, Ole Miss could have lost 12-1 both those days. And like, I would not have like, I, I would have been just happy as a clam. I just, I, I got like, I've paid attention to the games, but to say I got like locked in and kind of invested in them, I'd be lying. I was just, kinda, I was kind of glad to be there. How many Rangers games, if it's, you know, full attendance, you know, whatever. Uh, how many Rangers games? Let's say they play 81 home games. How many Rangers games do you see yourself at? I don't know, man. It depends. Like, I, I hopefully, you know, I don't know. I don't think 10, 15 is anything out of the realm of possibility. I hope I have, like, I hope you come out for a game. I hope I have friends to come out to games with. You know what I mean? Like, if, if, if LB, I'll probably, Kershaw I'll be, there, I'll be there. Yeah, for sure, dude. Like, I'll, like, Eventually, I'll try to like either move to Dallas or Fort Worth. I'm kind of in the middle in Arlington right now, and like that's not like a 
we're getting off into subject doesn't matter. Point being, one of the advantages of living so close there right now, I hope we have you know, we get to go to a bunch of those things. So for sure, come out as normal it's normal. Didn't you say you live like less than a mile? Yeah, I'm right at a mile. Like you take one turn and you go up a road and there's the park and Jerry World. So it's a pretty good area too then. Yeah. I mean it's all it's all chain stuff built around the stadium. They have a cool little Texas live place around there, but every fast food chain you could possibly imagine is around my house, buddy. I I, I am the fast food king. I live in the fast food hub in America. You don't cook very much, do you? No, I don't. So it's worked out quite nice for you, boy. You go down one street and there's anything from Whataburger to Canes and everything in between. This is really where I was meant to live. <laughs> so that's, a, that's, a, that's probably after 91 minutes, that's probably a good uh, a good note to end on, dude. This was fun. I appreciate you talking some ball with me on the inaugural episode of the Rippy Rights Pod. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. For sure, dude. So we'll be uh I'll be back at it Wednesday. Um I've got a couple couple things in the works. I'm hoping to get one uh hoping to get one guest on that I think you guys will like. Mississippi native uh plays golf. Recently just won a fairly big golf tournament, so I'll tease it as that. But uh I appreciate everybody tuning in to this inaugural episode. Um I think this will be fun. I think Colin and I, if he uh has time, you got time to go on Friday, preview some series. Ooh, may have to go Thursday night. That's what I mean. Just Friday episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. Colin and I, I think hopefully we'll be back on Friday. Um, be looking out for the first edition of the newsletter. I know. I guess as you're reading this, I've already sent the intro edition of the newsletter out. But working on that schedule, still got some things in the works. But uh, I think this will be a fun time. I appreciate you guys uh, subscribing. Appreciate you guys spreading the word. If you like what you heard today, go rate and review this podcast. I believe that as of as of this talking. There is zero ratings and reviews. Leave us five stars. You can say whatever you want in the comments. Um, but, yeah, I appreciate it. I think this will be a fun venture. Colin, I appreciate it, dude. Obviously, we'll talk again soon. You're the baseball guy on the show. I appreciate it, man. Have a good one. Absolutely, man. Everybody have a safe and happy week. We'll be back at it on Wednesday.